The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I am Luke Warsham. It is good to be back. I missed last week because I had and still have a sinus infection, but last week it took my voice away. The voice is back now. Uh, Will and Matias, Matias Wander and Willomas are the other hosts of this show. Thank you for keeping the ship afloat last week. We got you. Uh, I, uh, I'm not surprised that it didn't go off the rails. We we held it down pretty well, I'd say, and uh, give you guys some decent analysis while we were at it. Yeah, th- that was a lot closer to the conversations that we have uh, before the podcast. So if you want to yeah. this and you missed it last <laughs> week and you want to hear us a little more off the cuff, that was what last <laughs> week was. And it was fun. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Facebook at No Nonsense Pod. Also, be sure to subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're using to listen. That way, you get easier access to our episodes. And if you're listening on iTunes, we would really appreciate it if you leave us a rating and review. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to recap a a big Titans win, forty-two to twenty-one over the Oakland Raiders. We're going to talk about sort of the direction of the team as they head into this final stretch where they're playoff fate will be decided we're going to be joined later on by mike herndon maybe you know him as at mike miracles on twitter he is a phenomenal analyst super smart guy we're going to get him in to talk about arthur smith and sort of you know how much of his improved success as a result of Tannehill or Derek henry and how much of it is he's just kind of learned how to call plays so that's going to be a fun discussion certainly looking forward to that as we start guys uh, I had an idea for a topic the other day, and I wrote it down, and this is what I want to lead with. Um, because the Titans' turnaround, especially on offense this season, has been so drastic, right? We know that. It was, you know, eight weeks of real, you know, six weeks of disaster, and then the last however many weeks, it's been really, really good. So, you know, it's interesting because you're going to get these people who are going to be like, you all gave up on Arthur Smith too soon. You know, you guys were too hard on him. 
But here's my view. No one who said the Titans offense is bad and Arthur Smith is bad up through like week seven or eight, none of those people were wrong. Those were factually true opinions. Now the correct opinion is, oh my gosh, this is the best offense in the NFL potentially. So to say that those people were misguided or you just weren't giving them a chance, no, it was so bad that that was the correct opinion. But the turnaround has been so drastic that that's no that's now would be an insane opinion. You sort of get what I'm saying. Like no one's at fault here. They were they, this team was unwatchable. Yes, unwatchable for the first six weeks. It, well, no, yeah. the, the the Browns game and the Falcons game they looked good, but they played against really bad teams. But. I mean, the Buffalo game, the Broncos game. I think a- any person in their right mind would have been in a a bad, not bad place, but like in a place without confidence in regards to the team, especially in regards to the offense um, going forward. So, I, I mean, I don't I, I don't understand this, this, um, <laughs> this, this thought that, oh, wow, you gave up on the team. You're you're not a true fan. I, don't, I mean, I, I gave up on the team. I gave up on the team. I thought the season was over. I wanted a, I wanted a high draft pick, but guess what? Every everything, every single thing has changed since that Broncos game, and and I'm back in because we're gearing up for a playoff run. Uh, it, it, it's going to be a little tough because the Steelers keep playing cupcake teams, but uh, we're right in the thick of things. We're actually still we're still in the division race. We're tied for the division lead, and we have two games coming up against the Texans, so this is an exciting time. I, I, I This is an exciting time, and I, I think it's a time for fans to kind of be on the same page and come together instead of pointing out their superiority over other ones. Yeah, I'm done with that, man. Yeah, I mean, unless I'm right about something, like, I don't want to hear about superiority. <laughs> that- <laughs> this sort of is the get-off-my-lawn podcast sometimes. Yeah, well, it's because there's so many people that do so many dumb things that are aggravating. But, yeah, I mean, I wrote an article uh, after the 2-4 and four start when the Titans switched quarterbacks that was, you know, basically like, is this early enough to, like, talk about tanking or do we wait until next week? Because yeah. you, have, you have to, I mean, you have to realize, like, and, and I told you this uh, in we were two and DMs. Four. Two and yeah, four. like, yeah, like in the DMs. And it I wasn't, said, a, okay, and it, it, was a, it was an ugly 2-4. and four. No, we were yeah. in free fall. Free fall. Yeah, it was a two and four against teams who'd like not beaten anybody else at that point. So, like, the way it would have to happen is if you think it takes ten wins to give yourself a fifty percent chance to make the playoffs, which is about right, you th- at after two and four, you had to think the Titans were going to go on an eight and two run with Kansas City, Oakland, who was winning games, the Colts, the Jaguars, who just beaten you. Uh, the Saints and the Texans twice still on the schedule for nine of the remaining games. Like there, there was no reason to expect that you could go eight and two in that stretch. Like nothing we'd seen out of Tannehill in his whole career. Nothing we'd seen from Arthur Smith. Maybe we could have confidence in the defense, which has completely done a one eighty at this point. Like this team is the inverse of what it was at that point in time. So if you, if you, you know. I don't want to say gave up. I guess gave up on a chance of them making the playoffs and were just trying to watch the team and enjoy it and hope they could make a run but didn't expect to. Like, I mean, you were right to do that. Like, if they hadn't been mathematically eliminated. But like I said, like, the Titans have gone on a 6-1 and one run since then, which is, 
I think, uh, like tied for the best record in the NFL over the last seven weeks. So, or less eight weeks, sorry, because there was a bye week. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's a pretty exceptional thing that's happening. So you were right to give up if you, if you gave up and you're right to jump back on board. If you're back on board now, it's like the, it's, it's like the Derrick Henry thing. Like he was bad at the beginning of last year. He was awful. He was awful, but he improved. We were given new information. The new information was that he is better. He's very good now. (laughs) And we've changed our opinions. The the problem would be if you, if, if we, because I was the chief Derrick Henry dissenter, as, as we know, the problem would be if I was sitting here now going, well, the offensive line's just playing really good. You know, well, Tannehill's playing so right. well. You know, well, that would be the the stupidity. But I've evolved, right? I now believe that Derrick Henry is a vital element of this Titans offense and someone that they need to pay because that's how good he is. Uh, and as you guys were talking, two more kind of points about the drastic change came to mind. Number one, you guys remember? I think it was like week six or seven after that around that Broncos game. We're sitting here before the podcast trying to come up with a topic, and I'm I'm writing down topic ideas. I remember saying to you guys, I'm like, guys, the stuff I wrote down is the same stuff we've been talking about for three weeks. Arthur Smith, bad. Mariota, bad. You know, all this is bad. I mean, we had a podcast episode like week three titled "Everything That's Wrong with the Titans Offense." And we could have titled like weeks three through seven that. And another thing is, if you remember, for like the first half of the season, every post-game story that was written by anybody that covers this team criticized, deservingly so, a dumb Vrabel decision. Those (laughs) are gone now. Well, Well, we haven't needed them. I, I think yeah. that's, that's the well, biggest yeah. part of it. Yeah. See, because we haven't we haven't really been in close game. I mean, the Colts game was close, but there weren't really any big decisions to be made. Like I, I still think back don't... to that uh, that Kansas City game when he went for it on fourth and fifteen, and I remember thinking when that happened, I'm like, ah, that was dumb. Mm. But then I asked him the next day, I was like, why'd you do that? And he said he gave this great answer, and it was like clearly well thought out. And it's like, so we didn't do it because yeah. we knew it would give us a higher chance to win. I'm like, oh my gosh. That you know, he doesn't realize it, but what he just gave me was analytics. <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like he, like he, because I, I remember that because uh, it was the first time I heard him explain something that I completely disagreed with. Where I was like, "Oh, no, that is backed by some sort of like science or numerical data." But his point was basically like, "Well, at that point in the game, you only like your options are to give them the ball or uh, to give your chance with the ball right there or." to you know punt it and then you have to stop him from getting a first down and we liked our chances to do this better than that and i was like okay like yeah like that's the structure of a sound argument it's like you just don't have all the numbers behind you but yeah i mean there are there have been stupid decisions too like i mean i i I haven't brought him up as much because it hadn't been as relevant, but leaving Wesley Woodyard on Austin Eckler basically in this whole second half of the Chargers game to basically, you know, give the Chargers a chance and them almost beat you, that's a dumb decision. You know, to let Arthur Smith tell you that no, you're you know, you're not gonna attack the Tampa Bay corners, yeah, that was a dumb decision. Like there have been bad decisions, but it just speaks to how well the offensive skill position players and eventually the offensive line have played to this point. Because even if you make bad decisions, 
they can overcome it at times, which is something that just we have not seen in the last four years, like if not longer. So like there, it's not necessarily that there's been any huge changes one way or another. And I don't know if you want to call it buy-in or if you want to call it like chemistry or what, but for whatever reason, they're able to overcome the dumb decisions. And then when the right decisions are made, they're able to capitalize on them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the offense can overcome anything at this point, it seems, which I don't know. It's, it's still weird to me. Yeah, we're putting up 40 points, like, on a consistent basis. Like, what is this? this well, when's the last time we saw a Titans well, offense? And, and you know, a good point is, and, and Mike Herndon, who we're going to have on the podcast later, tweeted this out today. He said, obviously, the, the pace they're at right now is not sustainable. But because they're literally the best in the league right now, the regression is not going to be to the mean. The regression is still going to be too far above average. Right. So Yeah. So even if you regress to like what twenty five points a game, that's like top ten offense in the league. So exactly, yeah. If, yeah. So if like if you regress from number one or number two to number eight, that's fine. Like that's no big deal. And I don't know. It just it feels so much different now. Like the mistakes just seem like the, they're smaller and. I truly think that every time the Titans get the ball, they're going to score. And I think the best way to say that is remember how often we were talking about how good Brett Kern was for the first half of the season. <laughs> yes. But, I, mean, I haven't like, heard his name. And and like, and we weren't wrong. Like, I mean, he can put the ball inside of the five yard line whenever he wants to seemingly, but we haven't seen it like in a month because he never punts. Like, I mean, he never has to like, we're either talking about, yeah. us, uh, no, no one uh, has ever won a Super Bowl. Or probably, well, the New York Jets did in like 2011 or 10. But like, no one's ever won a Super Bowl playing defense and field position. Not defense running game, defense field position. It's like, that. that's not, it's not only is it not sustainable, it just doesn't work. It's definitely not sustainable in in 2019. Maybe maybe 20 years ago it might have been, but yeah. even, even then it, it was tough. Well, if you get a stretch of games that are outdoors and you're stay, you're you know playing in Minnesota for your Super Bowl or something, like you have a chance to like. I mean, you've yeah. got a chance, but other or, than that, or, or like, you play against Jared Goff in the Super Bowl, that too. Oh, yeah, then you can just kneel down and you'll accidentally win. <laughs> um, I think another point to make about the stark contrast in the second half of the season for the Titans uh, from the first is that, guys, there is a legitimate chance. And I can't believe I'm saying this. Like, I'm, I'm smiling. It's just so bizarre. There's a legitimate chance that the Titans play both of their last two games on Sunday night football as the marquee game of the week. Because, and I had this tweet pulled up, Catherine Terrell, or Terrell, I'm going to go with Terrell, that's what it looks like, who is a Saints reporter for The Athletic, so clearly very credible, uh, has reported that the NFL is waiting because they want to flex Saints-Titans next week to Sunday Night Football, so they want to make sure that the Titans beat Houston this week so that that game isn't meaningless. So if the Titans beat Houston this week, and uh, the next week's game becomes Sunday Night Football, that, that seems pretty evident at this point based on that report. And then, let's say Houston then goes and loses or goes and beats Tampa Bay as they probably should and as likely they will I would say 
Then that Week 17 game is the de facto AFC South Championship. And if that's the only meaningful game, then that's the game that's going to get flexed in, right? You would think so. Now, NBC doesn't have to have a game Week 17. That's in the contract. They can. They can pick, a, they can pick any game they want or they can pick no game. They picked no game two or three years ago because, like, all the game, all, everything had pretty much already been decided, and even the things that hadn't were like seeding issues, and so it wasn't interesting. Um, but I mean, could you imagine the Titans on Sunday Night Football two weeks in a row? Two weeks in a row. Well, yeah. Well, hopefully it'll go better than last week's, uh, last, last year's uh, Sunday Night Football. Game. Yeah, the week seventeen. Travesty. Yeah. God. Thank the blank. starting quarterback gets injured. We won't have to rely on blank gabbard i remember yeah, I, got I, don't, to this, I, even, I got to I the stadium to like three and a half hours early like before the game to get a video of mariota warming up and he never came out <laughs> um i have no recollection of that game and i do not want to talk about it <laughs> oh my god I, did, did i ever tell you guys that uh i got to my seats and there were two season ticket holders in my seats no and i had to go all the way to the ticket office and then they ended up not being able to kick, to kick out the season ticket holders, and then they gave me other seats. And it was already, like, midway through this second quarter by the time I could sit down. Well, at least you got to sit down to see that interception Gabbert threw yeah. going for Taylor on the boot. Yes, ab- beautiful stuff, beautiful stuff. Yeah, I, don't, I don't remember any of this. This all feels like it's made-up nonsense. You I don't remember, remember Keon Brown playing, like, prime Ray Lewis. Oh, yeah, I do, I do remember him pick six and Andrew Luck. <laughs> yeah, <it> was, <laughs> he was wrecking the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, Andrew Luck in that game, you know, because I had been watching Mariota and Gabbert all year, which Mariota was fine last year, but Gabbert was not. And I just remember watching Andrew Luck, I'm like, man, this dude just looks good playing quarterback. You know, every motion has a purpose, quick to the point, you know. And and then he threw that pass to Jay on. I'm like, that might be the worst <laughs> pass I've seen since Gabbert was intercepted by Darius Leonard on the other side back when they played in Indy. Because that might be the worst yeah. throw I've ever seen. Just getting back onto hot, happier topics. Uh <laughs> It is weird to think, and I'm pretty sure this is right, but if the Titans win the next two, win against the Texans at home and win against the Saints at home, and the Texans lose to the Titans and then lose to Tampa Bay, Week 17 becomes meaningless, right? The Titans are 10-5, and and then uh, the Texans will be 8-5. and seven i guess at that point so they yeah. can't catch the titans all they can do is try to compete for a wild card spot you know depending on what happens at the other game so like it's not it's not inconceivable that the titans could get flexed into the night game it's also not inconceivable that yeah. the game could have no meaning at all like well, so and, and that's so, the ideal so outcome weird. because oh, you mean yeah you, for sure you don't i mean the titans <laughs> let's i mean let's be honest now that andrew luck is gone their boogeyman is energy stadium in Houston, they yeah, I think one it's been there since years or something. New Year's Day, two thousand twelve. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to play there. Although the Broncos didn't have a problem this last week. Yeah, so you can say like the, you know, the last few weeks teams aren't having an exceptionally hard time, but you know, division games are weird. Yeah, I mean, I, that, you know, that's one of the few cliches that I buy into, and it's that when there's a division game, you absolutely throw the records out the window. Does not matter. Anything can happen. 
I think you're right because I mean that Saints Falcons game from like three weeks ago. Exactly. Every year there's like yeah. three or four of those games. Yeah, and I mean like the every Seahawks Rams game ever. <laughs> yeah, like all those like super close like weird like NFC West games like it it does seem to happen all the time and you can't really explain it other than these teams play each other twice a year they know exactly what they're going against you know and they hate each other and mm-hmm. I mean that's what it feels like so you know I don't I don't know like I'm confident in the Titans offense and what they can do but like at the same time like it feels like my nightmare is to wake up and to see that the Titans only score seven points and that everybody's talking about how great Deshaun Watson is. So uh, I, I think I the don't defense know. is more concerning at this point going into these last three games. Right. Which yeah. And I want to get to think because they're going up against good offenses. Yeah. I want to get to the defense more in depth a little bit later. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that after we talk to Mike, but the last thing I want to talk about before we, we bring Mike on is this, the Titans have, quote-unquote ordered, which is the word some people are using. I think that's a strange word to use. Uh, but the Titans have ordered a code blue for uh, for this Sunday against the Texans. My last experience with a Titans code blue game was 2013 against the San Francisco 49ers. Colin Kaepernick came in and had one of the best games of his career, if I remember correctly. Mm. Darius Raynaud officially lost his punt returning job in that game because he got destroyed when he should have called fair catch. No one in that stadium was wearing blue. The team was wearing navy tops, white bottoms. And I bring that up to say, you know, if you're going to do this friggin' thing, do it right. Like, I don't want to get there on Sunday and I look out and – you know, everyone's wearing khakis and a flannel shirt. No one's actually wearing blue, and the team's not wearing their blue. Now, now Mike Keith did say on a, I heard on Titans Radio today that he said uh, they're going to be in the all all uh, all Columbia blue. So th- that is good news. But like, people are getting really friggin' excited about this thing, and I'm just like, ah, I just can't trust Titans fans to make a game environment good. Yeah, you, you're right. Like, uh, just just to kind of jump in on this, you're absolutely right. Like, you should not trust Titans fans to show up to games. And I say that as a season ticket holder. Like, I've been to so many games, even this year. Like, I mean, uh, the, the like the two most important home games we've had in a long time that didn't involve like a direct tie with the playoffs were the Chargers and the Tampa Bay game. And I mean, there was just like easily outnumbered by bad fan base maybe not outnumbered but like a 30 to 70 split and like it shouldn't be like that like you know it shouldn't be like at some point in the game you hear the other crowd cheer over your own crowd and it happens which with with divisional games that's not really an issue though no, but like it's not divisional games. It's Kansas City doing the chop. It's bu- the Buffalo Bills like yeah. fans just well, completely. I, I, I mean, it, well, this this I is guess, more an indictment on Jacksonville, but it was pretty much all Titans fans two weeks ago. Yeah, but that's because they've seen Derrick Henry in December and they don't want that problem. Like <laughs> yeah. they they did not want to see Derrick Henry late in the season, and they got a full dose of it. And you know, they they knew it was coming when they saw Kansas City and what they did what the Titans did to them and it absolutely happened the same way. So like if you're a Titans fan, you know, there's people kind of like 
I guess like not mocking the Titans, but like they're it, they think it's weird that they they're asking everybody to show up. Show up, like support your team. This is a huge game that could mean home seating and a playoff. So, go, you know, we're blue. Hopefully this crew, which it does seem like the game day experience is a lot different than it was five years ago uh, in Nashville. Like it's it's a lot more, I guess, since Amy Adams drunk took over. But yes, it does seem a lot more focused towards like making things feel like you've got more of a home field advantage. And, to and her there's, credit, st- there's still work to be done. But you're you're absolutely right. Oh. Will. Yeah, and a lot of it's just culture. Like, a lot of it is getting fans to show up for games like this. Like, you know, building that support. And, you know, the Titans have such a good record at home in the last four years or so. that I guess three or four, whatever it is. But, like, it's a good time to be at a Titans home game. You know, you very rarely lose, and you usually get an exciting game whether you want it or not. Well, the best improvements they've made are as follows. Number one... No more, as much as I loved it, for for my own sadistic reasons, it's not good for fans. The Kroger character race, where, like, the bunny bread bunny and... Um, you know, uh, uh, no, and, te- like, first of all, in the M&M... The purity and milk cow. All of them. Yeah, like, and Ch- uh, Chester Cheeto, they were uh, my favorite <laughs> mascots growing up as a kid, and I remember Texas Pete... Uh, going yes. back to the old like jumbotron days before it was like a real life thing, and a part of my childhood died when they stopped doing that. So I'm <laughs> glad you bring that up. I remember Juan saying one time that like back in the Wizen Hunt days, the offensive line would like have have like bets on that. <laughs> uh, but that that's gone, and then uh, also gone is the da 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 go oh, Titans go. Titans, go. Yeah, that was horrendous like <laughs> but at the same time like at least and they're trying to get the whole like ho ho uh, like first they don't thing mind going. that too much it's a little corny yeah like I, I just I get it i think it's always a stupid thing to yell as loud as you can while your ta- while your team is on offense yes. like that feels like a great thing to do on like second down like that brings up a third down but that I don't know. Like I feel like the Titans need a chant that they can all get in on together. But they just don't have that. And until you get that, I don't Henry, think you can be a really Henry. Henry, that's the chant. Uh, yeah, it's like second and one, and we're all yelling, and we're gonna get a false start. I'm like, shut up, everybody. But guys, I mean, I'm I, I'm here in South Florida and have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Come on, you've been you've been to Titans games. You know the Kroger here. Yeah, race. of course. Um, I don't. I don't know. Because I see I, activations all the time, but I don't know what I'm actually seeing. <laughs> I, I have never attended a playoff anything. I don't think. I mean, at any level. Um, certainly never in the NFL, you know, basketball, baseball, any any professional sports. I want to go to a playoff game. I want the Titans to win their division so that I can go watch a, an NFL playoff game. Let me tell you. I've been to baseball playoffs, and well, I, I used to, I used to like baseball, so it was Marlins actually been exciting. In the playoffs? Uh, back in the day when the Marlins actually used to make the playoffs, believe it or not, uh, it's awesome. The atmosphere is awesome. I can't even imagine what a football playoff game is like because football, just the atmosphere is is, is something else at times. Uh, a lot of the Titans games I've gone to over the past couple of, year, of years, uh, like the Jaguars game with the Mariota stiff arm. Which was a great, um, great and, environment and, and, for that game. Would you say, sorry? I said that game was a pretty good environment, I thought. 
It yeah. was. It was awesome. Except it was ice cold. So cold. Oh <laughs> like my. It was the coldest game I've ever been to. I was going through. Yeah, I think so. I'm from Tennessee, and like that was the coldest game I've ever yeah. been to. Thank, thank the Lord for hand warmers. Absolutely saved my life. Um, but yeah, that game definitely felt like a playoff game, and for for at least the first half, the Colts game last year on on Sunday night, at least. You know, it had that playoff atmosphere, but it's not necessarily the same. Yeah, like I was, uh, I pulled up on YouTube the other day. There was like a condensed version of the Ravens playoff game from 08, which is the last time the Titans hosted a playoff game. I guess it was technically 09, but the 08 season. Every seat in that stadium was full. In that club section, I did not see any red. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. Because you get this talk about, you know, well, you can't really fill up a stadium in 2019 because of the at-home experience. Agreed. Except in the playoffs. So I think we're all in agreement that we want that, right? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Also, like, it's insane to think about how great fan attendance was back then. And, like, where it is now like i do get like you said i do understand that like technology has made it so much easier to just stay at home but it 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 did just feel different going to those games when you were like a true home game in a game that mattered like that that's just a different level of play all right so now we're going to bring mike herndon onto the show but before we do a quick word from one of our sponsors okay so now we are joined by uh Someone that I believe to be probably the smartest person on Titans Twitter when it comes to just sort of understanding what happens. Uh, he's with Music City Miracles, football and other F words. Mike Herndon, at Mike Miracles. Thanks so much for the time. I know you're a busy man, but we really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me, and thanks for putting up with my uh, constant uh, delays here. It's been a... Uh, <laughs> I've been on a work trip uh, the last couple of days here, so it's been a whirlwind. But um, glad glad to uh, be able to jump on with you guys. Well, it is funny as 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 uh, Lebowski said, I believe, on your podcast last week because uh, there was a separate episode with you, and then a separate one with Lebowski and 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 Zach and and uh, and Keith. And he said, "Well, I think just three yeah. people are going to listen to the one without you, and then everyone else is going to listen to the <laughs> the Mike Twenty Two. Uh, yeah, well, I, I told him. I told him it's just mostly my mom and her friends. Um, yeah. But you know, well, Mike, the, the reason that we wanted you to come on is because the, the three of us have kind of been dumbfounded by the Arthur Smith situation as a whole. I mean, obviously, we know Tannehill has has changed a lot. Derek Henry elevating his level of play has changed a lot of things. Some of the offensive linemen, particularly Saffold, are, are playing better. But from a schematic standpoint, just tell us about Arthur Smith. I mean, I don't know a better way to ask that question. What do you think about him? How has he improved? Just just give us sort of your manifesto on Arthur Smith 13 or 14 weeks into the yeah. season. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I think he's um, – the offense itself is a lot – it's still a lot of the structural components that Matt LaFleur brought here. And, and that's what Smith said when he first came in was that the, the offense that it was most going to resemble was going to be the LaFleur West coast outside zone run kind of, kind of scheme that, that we saw last year. Um, and, and he has brought in some elements that, that we've seen under 
malarkey and, and that we saw under Wizenhan, that that kind of thing. But I think the the interesting thing has been it's it's just been a progression under him of you could almost sense early on that he was just calling plays, right? So he was he was just all right, let's just run this and then let's run that. And there wasn't a whole lot of obvious setup yeah. and counter off of that setup throughout throughout the games. And it was frustrating to kind of watch, especially because for all of LaFleur's faults and for all of Robisky's faults, I thought as play callers, both of those guys really did a good job of building plays off of each other throughout the game. And that, that was something that was really lacking early um, and I think we've seen that kind of sequencing of plays and mindfulness of, all right, I need to run this to set up this. I, I think you're starting to see that, and, and you're starting to see a guy that's getting comfortable with that process and with, with game planning um, and, and then executing throughout a game. So. It's been interesting to watch his kind of maturation as a play caller. And it, it might have been, and, and I was guilty of it too. It might have been a little, uh, a little overreactionary when everyone wanted him, uh, you know, canned after the first, you know, six or seven weeks, and, and we were, uh, you know, all, all ready to throw him overboard. Um, but you know, there, there were reasons to be upset with the play calling at that point, and it's just a reminder that. You know, hey, it's his first time doing this on any level, and and it takes a little while to get get into the groove. And it, it's been fun to watch him once he has gotten into that groove. Yeah, for me, the problem the whole time has not really been the play call, which there were issues with that early, but it's the personnel. It's you know keeping AJ Brown on the bench for so long. It's running so many heavy sets. Like we've seen some of that kind of ebb and flow but i think it took until week six to get aj brown over 50 percent of the snaps i guess what i need you to do is i need you to convince me of if the titans do go quarterback early in the first two rounds or so like are you comfortable with arthur smith being the guy to develop that quarterback or do we think that Tannehill's ability to kind of go to the line like for example uh aj brown was hurt uh i think on the last offensive touchdown drive that the Titans had and he got up mm-hmm. gimpy and he had his ankle but Tannehill hurried to the line of scrimmage knowing that he was going to call a play at the line that had nothing to do with A.J. Brown it was that the uh, short side of the field wheel route to Johnu Smith for the touchdown so he mm-hmm. knew that he had that look he went hurried up to the offense you know even though like he kind of waved to Brown to say you know I know you're hurt this isn't going to you and then he called the play never looked at him because he knew what the deal was and then threw it. I don't know that you're going to get that from a rookie quarterback, and I don't know if you get that from somebody that Arthur Smith develops. So that that's my concern with Arthur Smith is not can he get through it with a guy who knows the nuances, but can he do it with the next guy? Yeah, and, and it's it's really hard to know, and it's especially hard to know when you, it's, it's hard to tell how much of Tannehill is – Ten Hill's a guy with eight years' experience, and he knows what he's doing, and he's bringing some of his own ideas to the offense. Versus, you know, hey, they've done a really good job of coaching Tannehill up in a short period of time and getting him ready to play. And you know, this scheme is completely different than what Tannehill was running in Miami under either Philbin or Gase, really. So, you know, it is a new scheme, and and it has taken very little time. You know, really 
Tannehill hit the ground running uh, as soon as he came in. But it's hard to know how much of that is good job, Arthur Smith and the offensive staff versus how much is Ryan Tannehill is, you know, bringing a lot of experience and a lot of know-how to the table already. And now he's surrounded by playmakers and he knows how to make that work. Um, so I, I don't know who to give the credit to necessarily right now, but I would say that, I mean, as things stand today, it's pretty hard to argue with the results. Um, you know, it's the second best offense in the league since week seven. And I don't think you get that if you're, if you're a terrible offensive coordinator, I, I don't know that, you get that even if you are getting, you know, really good play from, from Ryan Tannehill. I, I think you're, you've got to say that Arthur Smith is doing something right uh, in addition to Tannehill's boost to the offense, which has been pretty clear. Um, so I, I don't know. It, as far as developing a new quarterback, you know, obviously we don't have anything to go off of for, for Arthur Smith. Um, Pat O'Hara was at least involved in – the development of Deshaun Watson uh, in Houston. So I think that could be a good, you know, maybe maybe a good sign for his ability to kind of help a young quarterback get up speed quickly. But you don't know how much of that was O'Hara versus, I think Sean Ryan was also involved in that. And, uh, you know, obviously Bill O'Brien is kind of the head offensive figure in Houston. So um, there are, you know, but at least, O'Hara has been around a rookie quarterback that had a lot of success early on. So I don't know. I, I think I would lean towards trusting Arthur Smith right now, just because, I mean, the results are, have been incredible. I mean, this offense has been nothing short of spectacular uh, ever since Tannehill took over. Yeah. Hey Mike, uh, Matias here. Uh, take away the quarterback change uh, for a second. And, and what do you think has been the biggest change maybe throughout this throughout the season that you've noticed from the offense, be it from a personnel or a scheme uh, perspective, maybe the, it being uh, less Deion Lewis, or maybe they're using more two tight end sets or fewer two tight end sets. What, what, it, what particularly have you noticed maybe that was going on in weeks one through four uh, that are or aren't happening uh, as of late? And do you think that maybe has contributed to, to why the offense looks so much better now. So I think the biggest change outside of the quarterback situation has been the offensive line. And it's, it's not necessarily a personnel change. Obviously, you know, getting Luan back uh, was a big deal and it took him a couple games to really get integrated back in. But now we're starting to see that left side of, of Luan and Saffold dominate. Like we all were, I guess, hoping or expecting to happen uh, when when they brought Saffold in uh, during the offseason. So I think that side clicking, and you're starting to see Nate Davis. Nate Davis is still having really horrible bust plays, but they're, they're starting you know ever so slightly to become fewer and further between. I, I don't think he's arrived just yet, but you're, you're starting to see fewer busts and more really kind of impressive blocks. He does have a lot of physical ability. I think he's a pretty good athlete. Uh, I think he's got a lot of power, um, natural power to his game. So it, it's interesting to watch this group kind of click because last year they clicked right around the same time. And obviously with changing out both guards, um, you know, nobody had a neighbor uh, that was consistent from last year coming into this year. So, you know, you're all kind of getting 
all five guys are getting used to playing next to somebody new. And in that zone scheme, it relies so much on communication and so much on the parts and pieces moving in concert with each other uh, that I think you're starting to see the fruits of that labor kind of pay off uh, late in the season. And you're starting to see some really good run blocking uh, from the Titans. You know, on the offensive line, because I think it's an interesting topic, we are just two weeks removed from that Colts game where Ryan Tannehill was sacked five times in the first half. And it feels like pretty much every time that there's a sack, it's never just someone lined up and beat their guy one-on-one. It always seems like there's a stunt of some kind that is not passed off correctly and is not sort of communicated correctly. So on that note, two things for you, Mike. Number one, sort of explain to our our listeners what it it means to stunt a pass rush or what, what that means. And then number two, why is it that kind of consistently this offensive line seems to really struggle to pick up sometimes seemingly pretty simple ones. Yeah, so I think, you know, obviously it's a, the first part, you know, the stunts are, are really simply two or more defensive linemen working in concert with each other to essentially pick, or it's, it's basically like a pick play, um, trying to pick off offensive linemen to free up uh, another rusher and a lot of times the guy that is quote-unquote setting the pick can get himself free as well if he can kind of you know a lot of times the goal is to attack into the side of an offensive lineman and then carry him off of that guy into the backfield so you'll see sometimes the guy that's technically setting the pick gets gets free quicker because uh, he's taking the more direct route but a lot of times it's you know uh, either an end or a tackle slanting towards the other player the 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 player that he's kind of working with in tandem fakes like he's going to rush up field and then steps back and loops back behind and and it does require from an offensive line standpoint it requires a couple things so it's it's communication it's knowing you know when when you see this happening when you can see that the setup is coming because usually you know you can kind of tell all right this guy's taking an odd angle uh, for his rush, you know, I need, I need to alert my, you know, neighbor, my partner that I'm going to be passing this off with, you know, Hey, we, we've got a stunt coming. So you, you've got to let the guy next to, you know, uh, to, to be ready for that. But then the other thing is keeping the only way you can successfully block stunts. Um, and the reason that you see these happen so many, so much on third down is, is stunts take you out of your run responsibility, right? So you're, you're usually moving one guy into a, a different gap, and then you're bringing another guy behind him, often into the same gap or, or exchanging those. And if you do that against a run call, you're asking for trouble because you could get gashed uh, at, at the spot where you're vacating. So you see these a lot on third downs, but the really the, the key to passing off stunts is maintaining a consistent consistent depth of the pocket so when, when you form the pocket obviously your your tackles kind of fold back a little bit and then your interior guys the interior three depending on whatever the protection call is you're you're trying to keep those three roughly at the same level so that you know if you've got your center that's up at the line of scrimmage and then your guard is blocking his guy and his set is you know two yards back if that guy slants inside across the guard's face there's no way that center is going to be able to pick him up because he is, you know, two yards 
downfield from the, the guy that he's having to now switch off and pick up. And that's actually what we saw in the uh, Colts game um, on one of the sacks. I believe it was Nate Davis got a little bit too deep. And when the, when the stunting uh, defensive tackle came crashing inside, he tried to pass him off to Ben Jones. And Ben jo- yeah, the guy basically hit Ben Jones in his hip. Um, behind him, and there was just no way that, that Jones was going to have the leverage to be able to stop him. So, you know, you've got to have some consistency in your depths of your sets. And, of course, that's, that's something, again, going back to continuity and, and being familiar with the guys next to you, that's a, that's a big key. I, I think offensive line continuity is one of those things that is probably undersold sometimes because that, that – unit really does function as a unit and they need to be able to work in tandem and work work to pick up these stunts and so I think it's frustrating that you're still seeing this you know what we're 13 14 uh weeks into the season um it's certainly certainly not great but that's I think part of the reason why is is you've got a young guard in Nate Davis you've got a new guard in in Roger Saffold and you're seeing them. They aren't used to how these guys are handling the the, the stunts around them. Yeah, I mean that's a really good point. Um, we really don't get to talk about offensive line enough for me on this show. Like I, I love the intricacies. Like I love uh, watching how the backs communicate with the tackles and how they pick up that. Now, like I don't blame Nate Davis because I think he was a developmental guy who got brought in and who should have sat behind Kevin Pamphill, who, again, I'm not sure if he really exists or if he's like a missing person or what, <laughs> but like uh, he was not, or at least in my mind, the plan should never have been to insert him immediately from day one. And they did that on top of him already having an injury. So I, I, I don't, I don't really blame him for that, but he clearly is out of his depth on a lot of those, like the ones where he like, throws a defensive tackle directly into Conklin's legs and then PFF will attribute that sack to Conklin like that. All that stuff is crazy to me, but it it's good that we talk about it because it does bring up something I, I've been meaning to bring up, which is to me the, there should be no question that Jack Conklin should be re-signed and not even like re-signed for like Agreed. a three year deal. I mean, yeah, like I, I think, I think Conklin three of the four years he's been here has been, above average at least and then depending on how valid you want to say the all pro year was I, I think it was a great rookie year i i thought he did great i don't know if he was necessarily all pro but he was definitely in a pro bowl kind of tier but the point of it is like if you're gonna have success on offense having two offensive tackles who can block one-on-one against guys like in and josh allen like that it's like a cheat code it lets you do so many different things that to me there's no question that Conklin should be re-signed, even if it does cost you, you know, twelve plus million dollars a year. But what, what's your opinion? Like, what have you seen from Conklin, not only this year, but kind of the majority of his career, to tell you whether he's a guy you really want to keep or whether you'd rather roll the dice in the first or second round of the draft? Yeah, and no, I, I completely agree with you. I think they should bring Conklin back. Um, and. I know that they didn't pick up the fifth-year option, and, and a lot of people seem to have taken that as a ironclad, it's over for him here, they, they don't want to have anything to do with him. I don't think that's necessarily true. I, I think the fact that they didn't pick up the fifth-year option made sense on multiple levels. For one, he was coming off of a major knee injury, and a knee injury that had 
bothered him for a lot of the season. I mean, he came into the season with a knee injury and left the season with a knee injury and really struggled in between in the season leading up to them having to make that decision. So, you know, you want to see if that guy can come back and, and be the guy that he once was in 2016 and 2017. Um, so I, I think it makes sense on that level. And then it also makes sense on the level that I think the Fran or the, uh, uh, fifth-year option for an offensive lineman picked in the top ten, which is Conklin, would have been thirteen point three million dollars uh, for the two thousand twenty season, which would have put him as the before Lane Johnson's contract. It would have put him as the second highest-paid right tackle in the NFL, and I don't think you're necessarily going to have to pay more than that anyway. So why commit to paying it? now in a season where you would not be able to structure the money in a way that kind of is cap friendly or anything like that why not just nix that year and then come to the table and negotiate a fair market contract with them which even if it puts you back at the same total dollars per year annual value you can you can split that money up in a way that maximizes your rollover cap dollars and and kind of uses the salary cap in a smart way rather than being locked into a fully guaranteed year um, at, at that high premium dollar level anyways. But, but to speak to Conklin's performance this year, I, I think he's been very good. I think he, he's probably not quite Lane, Lane Johnson dominant as a right tackle, but nobody is. Um, I think Conklin is a clear, I'd say clear top 10 right tackle in the NFL, probably, bordering on top five. I mean, you're talking about like you know, the, the Lane Johnson's, the Ryan Ramchek's, the, that kind of tier. I think he's probably right below that. But I, I agree with you that offensive line is not something that you mess with. Daniel Jeremiah had a good point. Uh, I think he tweeted this out a, a few weeks ago. But he, he basically tweeted out, it is really hard to be really bad with a great offensive line. And I think that's a that's a very true thing, and especially when you surround that offensive line. The Titans have really nice pieces at the skill positions coming back, especially if they uh, wind up bringing back Henry. But if you can lock in that offensive line and, and say these are basically our five starters for the next two years and we're going to let them grow together, let that continuity continue to build, and we know we're set at the tackle spots, which is such a hard spot. I mean, how many NFL teams have – tackles that they feel really good about on both sides it's it's less than five um teams in the league that if you really start looking at the roster you're, you're like okay those guys those guys are set at tackle it is hard to find good offensive linemen the titans aren't gonna be drafting high enough to get uh, an andrew thomas or uh, uh tristan Wirfs. it's gonna be a, you know kind of a next tier kind of guy if they were to take someone in round one and we're seeing what a rookie offensive lineman looks like in Nate Davis right now you don't want to be starting a rookie offensive lineman if you can help it at all yeah like those are great points first of all the fifth year guarantee that's the perfect way to describe it if it's 13 million dollars and that's already the highest paid salary non-guaranteed anyway why why would you put yourself in that situation it just doesn't make any sense like of course you're going to decline that option because why wouldn't you so i think you nailed that um even going back to talking about how many teams feel confident in their offensive tackles, first of all, the teams that do feel confident in both tackles usually had to spend first-round picks on both of them. So 
You're basically saying the Titans are going to have to spend a first-round pick and hope they get lucky and land the 25% hit rate that is the offensive tackle position now. And on top of that, it it takes teams years and years to get those guys. I mean, you look at the time between when Lyle Collins finally adapted and played right tackle at an above-average level, and then you time it with Tyron Smith, and who Tyron Smith is not even having a good year this year. He just lives off name reputation for a lot of it, but – and guys like Lane Johnson and uh, Trent, like, uh, and Jason Peters, like, Jason Peters is towards the end of his career, while Lane Johnson is, you know, kind of in the middle point of his career. And I mean, it, Lane Johnson was a top five pick. So you look at this and you say, well, you know, if you're on the outside looking in, you're saying, you know, they didn't exercise his fifth year guarantee. They they must not want him. They'll just figure out another offensive tackle. But it's such an easy thing to say. And then you look at teams like Denver who spend a first round pick on a guy like Garrett Bowles, and then you get a huge liability instead of an asset. And all you had to do was keep the guys you had in place. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much exactly how I viewed it. So I'm glad you kind of laid it out like that. Yeah, I think Conklin's a good player, and and kind of, you know, we we do have a good bit of, uh, you know, the Titans have a good bit of cap space heading into next year. I, you know, if they structure the contract smartly, I, I think they can bring back kind of the big four of, you know, Tannehill, Henry, Conklin, Ryan, if they want to. Um, but I just I don't think you mess with with a a good tackle. You don't create a hole at a critical position when you already have the guy in the building, you know what he's like, you know he can get the job done, you know he fits in your scheme. Because even going out and spending big money for a, a free agent offensive line, it isn't always a guarantee. Um, you know, it, players players and their fit and, and knowing how they actually work in the building I think is important. And I, I would rather spend money on the guys that we know are good for the Titans than go out and try to spend that money on guys that were good for other teams and we hope will be good here. Mike, thanks so much for the time. Uh, we really appreciate it. And, you know, the Titans, basically my entire life during the season, you know, I'm there pretty much every day. And so for me to add Titans content to my life, it takes a lot. Uh, but but your podcast and your stories are always <laughs> on that ledger of things that uh, of things that I do look at even when I'm not, uh, you know, working or, or covering the team. So we really appreciate your insight. I really appreciate I, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, y'all are y'all are doing a great job. I, I do love the pod. I've got it in my uh, my Titans rotation, and uh, y'all keep, y'all keep up the good work. It's been uh, been fun to listen to. Well, we appreciate Mike joining us. You can follow him on Twitter. Fantastic follow at Mike Miracles. Uh, we're gonna play you another word from one of our sponsors, but but before we do, I want to let you know what's up next. We're gonna talk about what I believe to be the one thing that could totally derail the Titans' progress and their postseason push because they're headed for it. They're in the direction toward a division championship, but I believe there's one thing that could derail it. I'm going to tell you what that is in 30 seconds. Okay, the one thing, and I think we're probably all three in agreement on this, the one thing that could totally derail the Titans' playoff push <coughs> excuse me, is the secondary because right now you've got Bayard and Logan Ryan as the only two remaining healthy starters who you started the season with. Kenny Baccaro has a concussion. Adoree Jackson has a leg injury. LaShawn Sims has a leg injury. 
Uh, Mount Butler's been on IR for a while, and Vaccaro is in the concussion protocol. So my, my question to start this discussion is, number one, do you agree? And number two, what kind of happened last week with, with these guys? Because once Fakara went down, it was the same sort of depth, guys. Uh, I do agree. Uh, I am very concerned with the secondary right now. Uh, I'm concerned with the defense overall. Um, not only with the injuries, but the level of play, really. But even though they're playing bad, I, I, I don't know why. They're, they're not giving a up a ton of points. I mean, the Raiders didn't score a point in the second half uh, in this last game, and uh, in the previous two games, the Titans only gave up 17 to the Colts, and then 20 to the Jaguars. But that's a fake. That's a fake 20 points. It it was really like three points uh, up until garbage time. So it, it's like the the level of play is particularly there, but it's not like they're they're leaking, you know. So I I don't exactly know uh know how they're gonna do going forward the the thing is they haven't really played three that great offenses the colts are just you know middle of the pack really but Brissett has been um pretty bad lately uh the raiders aren't very are very explosive and then the jaguars are, are just horrible especially with folds under sender uh when we played them uh so now they're going up against uh deshaun watson twice and then drew Brees. Uh, say what you will about Deshaun Watson. Say what you will about aging Drew Brees. They're still two probably top ten quarterbacks in the league, and they're two guys that that will instill fear in in probably any secondary. And given the injuries that that the Titans have, I just I, I don't know if the offense will be able to keep up uh, with those offenses. It's so weird because not even talking about how it feels like the team is completely different from when they started the season, but it just feels like, and I'm not, I'm not calling anybody lazy or anything. Okay. I don't think it's this, but there's just like a lack of urgency now that the offense is better. And I, and I totally get why there would be like, it doesn't feel like a touchdown is a game ruiner now. Like it feels like, okay, you know, you got a touchdown one pass to AJ Brown can fix that for the Titans. So I, I do understand why it's like that, but the, the defense just seems to be so, like, zone-heavy and soft and non-matchup dependent for the first half of games. Like, against the uh, Colts, like, two weeks ago, and I, I think I tweeted this at the time, but there was a, the first series of the game, the defense paid no special attention to Jack Doyle, even though he was, like, the only starting wide receiver slash tight end that was out there. So it's like, why wouldn't you give that guy special attention like early and often. And then on that one drive, they had three passes to him and one for a touchdown. So, you know, that they're, they're okay. Like giving up yards and even now points, at least in the first half is what it feels like. And I'm sure that's not really what's happening. I'm sure there's some sort of, you know, voodoo that the other team is pulling. That's, that's why they're getting the best of Dean P's for the majority of the first half. But then in the second half, he adjusts and everything's fine, but that's just not enough for me. And, And I talked about this and I got some kind of pushback on Twitter, but like the defense as a whole, there's no urgency. There's no, there's no real reason they feel like they should create negative plays. So you get a lot of zone coverage, a lot of two deep, a lot of three deep, uh, and a lot of like four man rushes 
with no potency. And if Harold Landry's not getting in the backfield, nobody is, at least not on the initial rush. Like, they can come loose late. But, I mean, that that's a problem when you don't have your – you know, elite group of five defensive backs and you don't have Cameron Wake to help give you some of that pass rush. So the sooner the Titans adapt to the fact that they don't have a great defensive backfield, the better it'll be for everybody. And that may mean taking some chances. But, I mean, the way this defense is right now, they can't just keep sitting back on their heels because they, like you said, like they don't have the defensive backs to make up for it. And it just seems like, Mike Vrabel and Dean Pease haven't quite adjusted to that yet because they haven't been burned by it because the offense is scoring 30 points a game, but it is extremely concerning. Uh, well, real fast, because the, I just thought of another topic before Stop the Nonsense. So uh, I, I, I'll ask you this just because I know you're the one who, of us who has watched this game more than once. Tremaine Brock, real quick, what would you think? I mean, I think the best way to describe him is – you didn't notice him. So like when that's I went exactly back and watched said. like, yeah. So like it, that's, that's kind of the rule is like, if you don't, if, cause early in the game, it was uh Ty Smith getting targeted on uh to now. I, I guess I'll finish this first. It was Ty Smith when he was getting targeted uh, against Terrell Williams, and that's what it looked like for a while. But then again, nobody was around Rico Gafford on his forty-yard <laughs> touchdown. Former, so, former Titans training what was camp, that, terrible man. cornerback yeah. Rico Gafford, like, which is insane. But like, and it, it was he's he was such an unknown that uh, the I think it was Charles who whoever it was in the booth uh, was like. It like basically was like, is, am I reading that name correctly? Like I have no idea who that person is. Like it was his first career catch. How it got read off. Yeah, so it was, it was, and he played at Wyoming, I think. And they were like, did he catch passes from Josh Allen? And they're like, I don't know. And the answer was, who's a defensive back? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was. Well, if you would have listened to our podcast, you would have known that he that was on the Raiders. Matthias and that he Matias caught a touchdown out. in the preseason. That's true. Right. See. So like Matias voodoo did that. You guys but, uh, nailed the whole misfit toys thing. Like, yeah, that was oh a great my God. analogy. Um, so yeah, like Jermaine Brock, fine. Like, yeah, I mean, not like Nothing, not not a big kind of what issue. we expected. Yeah, like I think you're going to get more high variance from Ty Smith, who's had the forced fumbles. Like he'll give you higher highs and lower lows because apparently teams think they can pick on him. But, like, at the very least, it's not like you've got one guy who's getting abused the whole game. Okay, the the topic that I thought of was one, and I'm sitting there like, do we have to talk about this? We, we should wrap up. No, we have to talk about it. Bill O'Brien. <laughs> I've said for years, as long as we've done podcasts, the three of us, that I think Bill O'Brien is a fraud. And his Houston Texans got absolutely friggin' destroyed by the Denver Broncos on Sunday at home. If the Titans win this division, beating the Texans twice, and he doesn't get fired, then he never will. <laughs> he will be there forever. <laughs> I mean, gosh, this guy. Why he's do people think he's him. an offensive he's genius? The GM. <laughs> That's, that is a great point. Oh, and, and, I, and, and, and didn't who, yeah. who's in charge? Because uh, McNair passed away a couple years ago. 
Bill O'Brien's in charge. Yeah, Bill O'Brien. Like, (laughs) he pushed out. Think about this. Think about how, like, comfortable you have to be in your position to essentially phase out an entire position out of a football team. Like, he he basically convinced whoever's in charge to just not have a general manager. Like, it – that – that mm. baffles me. That's it's such a weird concept and, that he was like, you know, what if we just don't have a person who's my boss? And the guy was like, okay. What and was, like, what was Mike Keith saying about him today that, that kind of set you off, Will? Mike Keith, who we love, who's I, great at his job. Yeah, yeah, I love Mike Keith. I grew up listening to Mike Keith. He's a big part of why I'm a Titans fan. Like, it's just I remember those vivid, like. But he had a stop the nonsense moment today. But, but God, yeah, like he like almost got caught on stop the nonsense. But I mean, he was just like raving about Bill O'Brien. Like it, he was talking about how there was reasons why every year you hear that you know t- like college teams and other teams would snatch him up if he was fired, and how he's a he's truly one of the best coaches in the game, and this and that. Like he spoke about him the same way he speaks about Bill Belichick, which is the same way he speaks about Hugh Jackson. Because to Mike Keith, if you're in the NFL and a head coach, you are a brilliant football mind. And I totally understand that. And I respect that on paper, but you can see that Bill O'Brien's teams are wildly inconsistent and generally underperforming. And, I know that Mike Keith kind of has to do this because he has to make it okay for if the Titans lose, don't be too mad. We told you that it was a possibility because X, but at the same time I I tweeted out, I was like, find somebody who loves you as much as Mike Keith loves the next team that the Titans are playing because that's how it feels every week is the Titans are unlucky enough to catch this team of all-stars at the wrong time. And this week it's the Texans catching them off a down game. And with Bill O'Brien, the hottest coach in America, like at the helm. So it was, it was infuriating to listen to. All right, let's do stop the nonsense where we point out the biggest nonsense of the week in the sports world. It's our signature segment. If you have something you see that's nonsense, send it to us on Twitter or Facebook at no nonsense pod, use the hashtag stop the nonsense. Here we go. Mine this week is Deanna Rossini of ESPN. We're talking about the woman who, before the trade deadline, said Chris Harris will not be traded unless he is traded. So, just to give you context for who we're talking about, <laughs> Deanna Rossini tweets on Sunday of ESPN Titans are internally discussing a new contract for Ryan Tanhill after the season, per source. Not franchise tag, new deal to be the starting future quarterback at Tennessee. Okay, good, great. Tannehill's great. Love that. Really, this is a Dan Orlovsky stop the nonsense. Yeah, I knew that was, I knew bad that. week for his brand, by the way, because he's on this soapbox about Trevor Lawrence being better than Joe Burrow this year. Whatever. But he tweets, yeah, but you, Diana, were a fool to suggest that he would be their starting QB this year. Oh, Wait, what what happened was, ha ha, good one, Dan. Yeah, except here's the problem. And Diana says, your fans are not into sarcasm, Dan, right? We're so mad at Titans fans because they thought Diana Rossini was crazy for saying that Tannehill was going to be the starter at some point this year, right? Yeah, except here's the audio of what Diana Rossini actually said. Everyone I'm talking to down in Tennessee is telling me it is a quarterback competition. Marcus, go out there. 
separate yourself. Be the starter week one and the rest of the year. Yeah, see, Diana, what, what you said on ESPN was that it was going to be a quarterback competition. And the day after, or three days after you said that, I was in the locker room when Joe Rex wrote of The Athletic, asked Ryan Tannehill, is this a quarterback competition? Like, can you beat Marcus? And you know what he said? I don't think that's possible right now. And you know why he said that? It wasn't possible. And so to now, after Mariota was bad to start the season and Tannehill has taken over, to take this stance of, well, I was right all along. No. And not that you really did that. Again, this is more of a – t- I'm saying you as if she's listening. <laughs> not, not that Diana really <laughs> did that. More Again, more of a Dan Orlovsky problem with, like, joking around, oh, those stupid Titans fans in media. No, that's – Diana Rossini did not say, you know, the Titans are interested in playing the best quarterback. They want to kind of – they want to give Mariota a chance and then see what happens. No, she said quarterback competition – which was not happening. Mariota got every first-team rep minus the one day that he sat out, and that was a like situational awareness thing that Vrabel said he didn't need. There was no quarterback competition. You were wrong, Diana Rossini. Stop the nonsense, please. Thank you. Good to be back. <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about mine because mine's uh, <laughs> a little bit, I guess, aggressive and abrasive and all that. So... I haven't talked a, a lot. I haven't been aggressive and abrasive and all that. It would like I, I don't I don't necessarily like coming at it people like so hard. But okay, so Blake Benningfield works for Paul Kaharski, and he used to work with the Titans before he got fired, um, and then not hired by anybody. And so his big claim to fame is that he worked with the Titans for two decades, and that that's credentials enough. And I respect the legwork he put in. I respect the fact that he had a job for such a long time, all that stuff. But there is a clear problem with all this. And Paul Karski uses him as a draft resource and as somebody to analyze the moves that general manager, John Robinson is making. But if you were at a job for 20 years and then got fired by somebody because you can't do your job well enough and because you're leaking information to the media, don't you think that your opinions would be a little bit colored? And I say all this to say that as soon as uh, John Robinson drafted A.J. Brown, his big thing was that A.J. Brown was too big to be a wide receiver and that he would have to be a player who missed games entirely because the matchups just wouldn't let him get out there. And I think to this point, we've seen that that's all absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it was just but dumb. It's 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 a truly bad take and a bad opinion. So today, Paul Kaharski tweeted out something that uh, Blake Bedingfield said and tweeted out a clip of it where – so A.J. Brown kind of like flinches on this uh, – on the 91-yard touchdown. And the, the exact tweet says – on midday 180, Blake Bedingfield wonders if Arthur or if Arthur if AJ Brown flinched as Khalif Raymond. Yeah, it is, that's that's what his Twitter handle is, and that's how I'm reading it. <laughs> I guess I'll just say wonders if at Brown one Arthur flinched as Khalif Raymond went in motion and could have been called for a false start on the 91 91 yard touchdown. So 
Yeah, like if you watch the video, he did flinch. Not and, really, though. Yeah, like but no, like, he, he did. He he, did. he, he, he resets. Did. He resets his leg. It's not like it's not like he jumps off sides or anything. He doesn't get an advantage, and. That happens every play. It happens every all play. the time. It, it, you, it's why you hear like coaches complain about two guys in motion so much and this, that, another is because different refs have different rules. Some guys call that. Some guys don't. Some guys, you know, it, you, it's the same thing with pass interference. You have to play consistently at whatever rules you have. If you do that, it doesn't matter. So he, like, clearly what happened is Blake Bettingfield went, back through the game and knew he was going to get flack for his comments about A.J. Brown again, which he has frequently since, you know, A.J. Brown's turned out to be one of the best, if not the best rookie receiver from this past class. And so he went back and he was like, okay, how can I push against this idea that A.J. Brown's good? How can I, like, degrade what he's done on the field? And he found this play where, uh, so on the, like, on the quote-unquote false start, the reasoning behind this, and it's what Kaharski has said as well, is that there's there's a good chance that because the corner looked inside thinking that there was going to be a flag, that he basically stopped covering A.J. Brown, which is why he was open, or like that he slowed down in his coverage. Meanwhile, nothing on the film says that. Like The corner clearly turns in transition and all this stuff, and it's it's clearly I had this bad take about this good player and I'm going to focus everything I can to try to make you think that I was right. And so what probably happened, because this is how they scored a touchdown earlier, is uh, A.J. Brown ran jet motion to uh, from the left to the right, and there was a fake handoff there, and it turned into a pitch backside to Derrick Henry. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to draw the defense with the motion and then pitch it towards that towards where the motion came from, expecting there to be a hole there. So the way you counter that is you have your corner look inside, and if they see motion, their job is to, okay, motion's away. Last time that told me that Derrick Henry was coming right at me, so I need to know now so I can stop him before he gets ahead of steam. And that's probably what happened. And plus, like, so I guess my big stop the nonsense is, you, you need to consider the source with a lot of this stuff because anything you hear about A.J. Brown from Paul Kaharski or Blake Bettingfield, Paul Kaharski who said that A.J. Brown wouldn't have a good season because he had a hamstring injury in camp uh, and because he generally well, that, that, that That's a fair opinion, I think. Well, I, I, I mean, kind of felt that, the same way. It, it's a fair opinion in saying that historically, like, having a hamstring in, in camp is not a good thing for a wide receiver. But – the fact that he basically said, don't expect to have a good season from A.J. Brown. Okay, that, that's fine. But then also the guy who he is paying to tell people draft content is saying, don't expect him to be very good because he's going to be matchup dependent and not very good. When they both push that same narrative towards a player and then a player has a 91-yard touchdown and they nitpick about something from the beginning and try to push a narrative further in that direction – just don't don't listen to it. That that should tell you all you need to know. And you can see from the Twitter reaction how people have taken this. But I mean, it is a very bad idea to listen to Blake Bedingfield talk about John Robinson draft picks because he has no incentive to praise them. And I'll say this too: I think my biggest draft uh, miss in terms of my evaluations was I was a big uh, 
I can't Leonard Carter. That's not his name. Dude from Georgia, the linebacker. The yeah, yeah. I was a big fan of his. He's a tire. He sucks. No, he's only like a second year player, right? And he with the Giants. Yeah, he's yes. terrible. Oh, he has three and a half sacks this year. But you nice. know what? I'm admitting that I was wrong. I'm not doubling down and trying to like we talked about earlier. You know. Yeah, like it, that, which is is good. Like, but the reason why Beddingfield won't is because. All he has to do is say something and enforce it every time he goes on the radio and every time Paul Kaharski tweets something out. And people who don't look at things any farther will agree with him and just take it as fact and as fa- at face value, which is dangerous and irresponsible. Hmm. All right, yeah. Matthias, what so, do you got? I'm going to close us out with a patented terrible brand tweet. So this is from CBS Sports HQ. I I don't know where this came from. I mean, I mean this <laughs> out of nowhere. Field. <laughs> out of nowhere, like no one. You know those memes where no where way. someone writes like nobody, absolutely nobody, <laughs> yes. and then they put whatever happens. This is exactly what it was. So they tweet, "Wow, Jameis nineteen versus Payton one, age twenty five, and the stats are pretty much the same." Uh, asterisk through 13 games. So (laughs) I guess this this was... Jameis Winston's Peyton Manning. An age 25 (laughs) comparison. Uh, But a couple of things are wrong here. Uh, One, Jameis Winston is in his fifth year, uh, and they're in in the same season. Peyton Manning was in his fourth year. Uh, Also, the year before this Peyton Manning um, season, he had thrown 33 touchdowns to 15 interceptions, and he led the league in passing yards and touchdowns. Jameis Winston has never thrown more than 28 touchdowns, and he has never led the league in anything except for maybe interceptions. Oh, no, yeah. He, <laughs> he's leading the league in interceptions right now. Actually. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I don't know where this came from. This is just the most random thing I've ever seen. It really seen. is. It, it seems like... It, it seems <laughs> like, like... Have you guys thought of that? The, have you ever seen the account, the like the like the Blake Bortles facts account? Yes, yes. yeah. <laughs> those, those are great. Yeah. This is what it. This is the kind of tweet that you would get from one of those accounts. But I feel kind of bad. This is this was probably an intern just digging up some stats and I don't know going for clickbait. Well, you <laughs> know, it's funny I, how I came across that was Barry McCockner uh, tweeted it out. And his caption for it was, because we all know the NFL is the same in 2019 as it was in OC. Yeah. I mean, what like, in the world? It's like people do this all the time. Like They did it with Jared Garantano and Peyton Manning. That is, that is 100% the true. For, for they did through it. 13 games was only for Jameis. So the Peyton yeah. stats were full season. Yeah, which is crazy. <laughs> makes it even worse. Yeah, and so, like, they did it with uh, Tannehill and Dan Marino. Like, you can find that, too. It's, like, through the first six games of their career. And they did it with uh, Kyle Allen and Cam Newton. Uh, is Like, I've seen this, like, graphic, like, 40 times this season with, like, <laughs> random people. And I'm like, it, it, it would not surprise me if we saw uh, some sort of graphic with Tannehill versus Steve McNair as their first, like, or their best like seven game stretch or something. Yes. Like I could really see, and it oh, would be like, happen. I'll do it. Yeah, and it'll 
like asterisk uh steve mcnair won co-mvp this season like and it'll be like how Tannehill's numbers are better because it's just a different league like defenses aren't allowed to play defense like offense is so much like faster and like more like more well trained throughout like from like four years old all the way on with all these seven on seven leagues so like you can find a good quarterback or a good anybody who had a bad season and compare it the right way to somebody's best season or to somebody's like season they're having right now in the modern day. And like, you can get these kinds of things. And I don't know if they were joking like or what, but it's, it's not something that's like just isolated to CBS. It's like a lot of people are doing it and it just, it makes you look stupid. That's going to do it for us. Code blue on Sunday. Hopefully it's meaningful. Um, we'll be back next week to recap whatever happens. Until then, for Matias and Will, I am Luke, reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.